0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more.
1: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today it is with enormous pride that I bring you this interview with Alexi Sale. If you're British, you'll know who Alexi Sale is. I'm sure you will. And if you're not, um, it's hard to overstate his importance to British comedy. Uh, He was the very first compare at the British Comedy Store when it first started and ran the gong show there. He was sort of alone in being the only person who'd arrived and auditioned uh, who was actually funny, Uh, certainly in the first few weeks. Uh, until the rest of the people, as he will tell you, started to drift in and create what we now know to have been the real birthplace, the melting pot that created alternative comedy in the UK. Uh, He has a fabulous radio series currently called The Imaginary Sandwich Bar, and he's on tour with his stand-up show, and we're going to talk a little bit about how his character, his persona has developed from the early days of uh, the likes of Chertsey Bolofsky from The Young Ones and uh, also the Who's That Fat Bastard of Alexei Sale's stuff. Uh, if all of this is meaningless to you, just sit back, listen and enjoy this conversation with someone who is really, has always been at the forefront for the whole of his life of a really genuinely political, absurd and angry, Righteously angry uh, and very exciting comedy force. Uh, there is about 30 minutes of extras available to the Insiders Club uh, in which Alexi will talk about his real feelings towards Ben Elton and the current crop of arena comics. Uh, we'll discuss how he refit his show about political optimism when the political wind changed and we uh, hear a strange and wonderful link between stand-up and martial arts in terms of the relationship between the energy of the performer and the energy of the audience. That's all available now at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders but the rest of it is here for you all. This is Alexi Sale? Can we talk about uh, energy and about the energy of your performance? Certainly, because you are known, and I—I I mean, I grew up on stuff. I properly like—I was revising it, watching some old episodes on YouTube in preparation for this, and I was amazed by how much of it I could still sing along and <laughs> to, you know know the punch at the ends of things. That was just exactly my ear. And the, the name that you've made for yourself and your whole approach the, is all about attack mm-hmm. and kind of instilling chaos. And mm-hmm. in Thatcher Stole My Trousers, you talk about hosting the store and imposing order on that really chaotic environment. Yeah. So how has your approach to chaos and the management of it changed over the course of your career?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, I think. I mean, I think you 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 find a style that works. Whether well, if you if you're lucky or if you're if you're you know talented enough, you find a style that works for you. So so that kind of high energy attack works for me comedically. But also in the early days, it was obviously as I said the comic. I mean, there was only. I think there was probably only. I mean. I, the, you know the, the the comedy revolution the old you know the comedy the revolution in British comedy would have happened anywhere well anyway but it wouldn't have happened in that place at that time without me really because mm. I I was the only person in Britain really who had the kind of complex set of attributes that would make that room work which was that I was physically imposing and I was you know my, my act was, was was aggressive um and um uh you know, I was also I was always honest, really. You know, I, I think I was all but I was also I, I I had the kind of the material, which was, you know, the kind of material that nobody'd ever seen before. So, you know, those 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 kind of that, that um collision of attributes made you know made me work in that particular place. And then after that, I mean it's just it's not I don't know that I really have a choice. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I I mean I thought when I went back to doing stand up in sort of gradually in twenty eleven twenty twelve that that I might be a bit more that the 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 rage might have gone me, but it's (laughs) it just uh, it just kind of. I mean, I think there's probably more. There's more light and shade now. And the, mid- the originally the material, I mean the 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 way that the way that, um, uh, the way that uh, I don't know if this is kind of get you know going go further down the road, really, but I mean the way that the way that I, you know I um, I stopped doing stand up because you know I found I reached the limits of the guy in the tight suit really that, that because he was a comic persona that I, he wasn't me and therefore so I couldn't really talk about my life and and so the way that the new material evolved was through doing book readings and through doing Q&As and interviews and stuff and that you know if I'm you know if you're at the Cheltenham Literary Festival you're not you're not you know screaming and shouting at the audience so the material had evolved in a much more when it was the same material you know when I did it um, at a book festival it was much more laid back but when I when I do it at stand-up it just comes out much more high energy really
0: do you think the is, is the energy something is the anger yeah. the rage is that something that is simmering all the time off stage or is it something that you is it something you have to whip up when you're on stage <laughs> or is it something
1: where the stage is an outlet for it? yeah no I think it's I I, um, I mean I, I'm not particularly introspective about my own process so you know I mean um but I think that um, yeah it's about yeah I mean I have I I mean I have I mean I have all these kind of you know enraged arguments in my head with people you know and so I suppose it's a way of of letting those out really Um, uh, yeah I mean my act is I mean again what interests me yeah, uh, collect. funny. There was uh, Linda. Yeah, goes to looks at Twitter afterwards. Really, people don't tweet much anymore about shows. I think. But on Saturday night, which was a really amazing show in Oxford, the, um, the dean of Brooks University had been in and he really enjoyed it. But he he said it was. I was ranting about inauth- inauthenticity. Really, that yeah. I was ranting about inauthentic people. And I think that is true. I mean, what you know, it's. I mean, what interests me as, as, as comedic father is partly not exclusively but it's partly hypocrisy you know um uh, and yeah inauthentic you know being inauthentic really. I mean that's what that's what I, I I you know tends to not only that because I just do a lot of stuff that's just silly you know yeah. but um it's certainly, what motivates me is uh, is rage about yeah and injustice and you know all that good stuff.
0: The uh, the there's, there's a there's a bit I, t- I took a picture of the uh, rather than cut and paste it from uh, from the book where you describe to someone. Um what you do in your act to an older, to an older northern club. Right, right. yeah. And and it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, as a comic, if anyone says, what do you do? It's very hard to kind of, for anyone to put it into words. And this is, you say, well, I replied, basically, I talk. I talk about politics, social hypocrisy, of course, consumerism, the legacy of post-colonialism, the phociparis. Fisipirius The fissipirous nature of ultra-hard-left political groupings. But you have to be aware, if you can imagine it, this is all done with a great deal of physicality allied to a kind of surrealistic overview, evocative, perhaps, of the French situationists. And that is, I mean, that is exactly and precisely <laughs> what you do. Well, what, certainly what you did. Is that
1: still what you do? do you, well, I you and, should also point out that the, the kind of comedic thrust of, of that. I'm not... Oh yeah, I'm I'm sorry, I've cleared all the coffee out of that (laughs) for the sake of analysis, I can only apologize. I'm also just talking to somebody who is utterly uninterested I'm being extraordinarily pretentious in a cab and he just says at the end... He says, oh, yeah, you're a patter merchant. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was brilliant. You know, Benny Bruce. Well, you know, you're a patter merchant. That's what you do. You're not like a crazy legs act. You're not a special act. Yeah, right. You know, you are... Front cloth. Yeah, you're a a patter merchant, which I thought put me in my place. Mm -hmm. Um... Sorry, so
0: so just that description of what what you do like that's definitely what you did. Well, that's me. I mean, um, you know, being it, pretentious, sure. Yeah, but, but but it is yeah. also accurate. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it is. There is an element of the French situation. today, You know, that yeah, absurdity. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. at some of the stuff in, looking back at stuff online, um, Alexis Sales stuff, your TV show in the in the eighties and nineties, um, the the satire and absurdism at the same time in a way that's just it, it seems incredibly contemporary.
1: Not well, good, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I I wonder the those twin things of kind of rage and surrealness, like silliness
1: about the rage, the ability to be angry about yeah, something yeah, yeah. and well, I, yet make it silly. Well, yeah, because I never. I mean, again, this is about I never wanted to just do. You know, there is a kind of comedian who just does, you know, one thing really. Yeah, uh, you know talks about whatever the fuck they talk about and uh, I just thought that that's just limiting really. you know why not what is truly delightful about comedy is when it takes off really when it, it ceases to be you know earthbound and becomes stupid in a way just utter stupidity and that's and that's what I that's what I want to do as well. Really, I don't want to just be. I don't want to just be a pattern merchant. That I'm also, you know, there's a lot of physical um, stuff in my in my act. And I mean, there used to be songs, and I used to go tour with two dancing girls, and um, uh, which was an interesting period. Um, uh, you know, so um, yeah, yeah, you know, I. I, I Because, and I I think, but also being silly is also about um, undercutting yourself, really. You know, there is a lot of, there is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of comedians who take themselves tremendously seriously. Mm. And I am always saying, I mean, I have a certain set of beliefs, obviously I have a certain set of, that I am left wing, you know. But I mean, there's always a kind of, Uh, there's always an inclination in my act to mock my own beliefs, you know. I think that's very important because otherwise you're just a kind of propagandist, you know. You
0: talked in uh, in your act on on Friday, I saw the show, you talk about the kind of, uh, uh, the shows which uh, are kind of based around tragedy the sorts yeah. of stand-up shows yeah, which yeah. are I know there was a really there's a really delicious I mean I know there were people in <laughs> from your promoter in the audience that night that yeah. you were sort of apologising to going I'm going to put the boot into an act they're not your oh no one of them is your act
1: yeah um, I think I had three of their acts yeah I think then. so
0: there we go but you were, you were talking about those kind of you know you're doing this sort of act out of audiences going oh it was so tragic we were screaming we were you know clutch, clawing our ears yeah. until I played because yeah. the, the tragedy but that's not fucking stand-up comedy yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and and at the same time, without wanting to give too much away from the show, you talk about your your, your regret at not being able to do a show about,
1: and a, also it's about yeah, without giving too much away, it's about something genuinely yeah horrific, that a,
0: a, a scare yeah. Yeah. that you then started booking a room at the Edinburgh yeah, Festival. Yeah, yeah. So what? Just sort of talk about that. Is that one rule for you
1: and one rule for everyone else? Or well, it's I mean, yeah, I, I mean you know. Um, I mean, it is—it's fucking clever what I do, with, <laughs> without you know, without wishing to. But that's fucking clever because because it's it's a critique of that kind of. It's both you know it starts off as talking about something you know genuine because everything I talk about in this show now happened to me genuinely. Oh, that, you know serious illness, then it morphs into. A critique of that kind of um, the kind of comedy, the, criti- the comedy in inverted commas that critics love, which is about doesn't have a lot of gags in it, yeah, you know, but which is about you know terrible human suffering of <laughs> various kinds, which is a kind of modern trend. But then there's also an implied, there's also a kind of implied critique of me in there, in, in that I'm. Um, yeah just some kind of dinosaur that can't really get with that idea as well you know in my rage at it is also is also that so it's it, i mean it if it works it works on a on a number of levels and I love that bit i mean I love that but it's also you know it's very much a kind of i mean one one of the things I like about comedians in general is the all the way the way we think is that something Calling will happen to us, and, and we will try and get five minutes out of it. I mean, I think. You, I mean, I think that the problem with a lot of those. What I don't particularly want to mention this, but the problem with a lot of those those shows is they're not funny. Mm. So, it's whatever. Well, it, it may be compelling theatre, but it's not fucking stand up. Stand up is about jokes every battle laughs every 20 30 seconds you know that's what stand-up is and to say you know yeah well kind of I've gone beyond stand-up is a f- is a fucking insult really because stand-up is the hardest thing to do in the world really and you know even the even you know the terrible old school guys and you know if you can get those laughs fact that's 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 there's nothing harder than
0: that. Yeah. When you talk about the 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 old guys, the old guard who kind of existed that kind of uh, uh, comedy circuit, mm-hmm. whereby the the stock in trade was a lot of you know <laughs> racial hatred and chicken in a yeah, basket yeah. for eight quid, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that that kind of stuff. Did you did you do you as you've got older in comedy? Have you had a different sensibility of like recognizing that? If comedy is the hardest thing to do mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Then the people who were doing the thing that you helped burn down mm-hmm. they were up there, they had some kind of nobility.
1: I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't kind of go along, particularly with that revisionist thing where you say, Oh, yeah, I love Tommy Cooper, or I love you know, um, uh, I don't know, I can't think of anybody else really. So, I mean, there's a there's an awful lot of of pretending to love those old school guys. I think that they, I mean, there are ones who, I think Monkhouse actually was, wasn't bad. I mean, I think that, uh, uh, but I mean, what I do think is that the, there's a kind of tragedy about those guys in that they, they're bright and they're generally working class. And, uh, you know, they they were forced because audiences wouldn't accept anything else they were forced down a road of kind of misogyny and i think they could have you know they could have been a lot better than they are really just and yeah i i think you know they i yeah you know, we all go through the same indignities you know and there is a i think there's an esprit de corps about comics even if they are even if they are right wing. That you know you've been through the same shit really i don't think they thought that about my generation about me. <laughs> no, it probably wasn't reciprocated It wasn't, but then probably now they do. I'm actually somebody like Monkhouse did, he wrote to me, and Tarbuck as well wrote me a very nice letter and really? quite early on, yeah. Yeah. And they could see, Les Dawson could see, you know, see that we that I was like them, really. Essentially, that um there are differences in attitude mm-hmm. and material and stuff, but a lot of it's the same stuff, you know, a lot of it's, is it, whether you're Stuart Lee or, you know, one well, those, you know, Ted, you know, somebody from the past, you know. <laughs> Ted, Ted, Rogers. Ted, Ted Rogers, Rogers. Ted Rogers, Ted Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all the same. It's always you know, a lot of it's the same. It's the same. You know, every painter uses canvas and paint
0: kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And do you, like, I, I the way I approach comedy is I'm I'm so grateful to have discovered it in my life I mean, That I sort of regard it and it's it's something people say, Sarah Milliken has said this on the podcast before about it's the it's the the trunk of the tree of everything she does is going the trunk, the main bit is going into a room and doing stand-up. Yeah. I certainly regard it as certainly in the early days of it, I felt like we're all in this gang together. (laughs) Do you mean I've discovered, I've been allowed into the secret club, we're all in the gang together. And then I suppose down the line you go. Oh, not everyone feels like that. <laughs> not everyone shares my beliefs or approach or anything. Yeah. As someone who sort of started the gang. Yeah. In many ways. I don't really know what my question is. I'm just like, did you? There's a moment in the in uh, the your telling of the, the the early days of the store where like. Every, the, part of the reason why you're the compare for the for the Gong Show is that there is no there are no acts. There's no one who's any good. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. tell the story of Don and uh, Peter Rosengard, yeah. um, kind of auditioning acts and gradually getting more and more panicky because yeah. their concept isn't going to work because there are no acts. No, no. And then when people start to come along, you talk about Nigel Plainer and Peter Richardson turning up, that you're like,
1: oh, that's that's an act. Yeah, Tony Allen, Keith Allen, yeah, yeah Andy Delto, Jim Barkley, Pauline Miller. Did did you have a sort of a, a kind of
0: a like a nascent sense of this is the gang. We're all on the same. Yeah. We've
1: all discovered the same secret. I mean, the, you know, before the comedy store opened, I had been, me and this other guy called Bill Monks, also a Liverpool actor, was also in, was in the Communist Party. We had this little show that we did, and it was directed by a friend of mine called Cliff Cocker, who I'd been in school with. He was also in the Communist Party. And we took this show around. Um, you know, wherever we could, really. And it was kind of a sketch show, but I would also step out and do, you know, what was essentially stand-up monologue at the audience. And, and that was a piece from that show that I took for my audition for the comedy store. But we fact, knew nobody. We didn't know a fucking soul. We didn't know anybody. It was just me and Bill and Cliff flogging around this, And we didn't know how to get to know anybody, really. But I always had a sense that if only I could find other people who thought as I did about comedy, then everything else from that point on would be fine, really, which essentially it was. And so I was as soon as I saw the advert for the comedy store, I knew that that, I think I knew that that, that, that was the case. Then, in fact, those people didn't turn up for a few weeks. I think Tony Allen was the first one. And maybe keys, so, and then Rick and, and uh, Peter Nash, and, and so on. So at first they weren't there, but I knew, I knew intuitively, I knew that I had to find find other people because I couldn't do it by myself. That I would, I would just continue to you know circle. And it's it's also you know I was very lucky in in terms of time. And there's a guy who I like a lot called John Dowie, mm. Who was you know I me and Cliff and Bill went to see in about nineteen seventy six of the bush, and it was very influential, I thought, yeah, I and mean, again, he was doing a kind of prototype alternative comedy, and i thought yeah this this is kind of what I want to do, but he came too soon, you know he mm. he didn't know anybody either. and he you know by the time he by the time our thing had happened, he kind of got left behind by it, you know so mm. Uh, I knew, I think I knew that this was the time as well, kind of, somehow, intuitively, you know. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things about about talent is that you, stuff that is not apparent to other people is apparent to you, you know, you know shit. You can see, you can intuitively see what, you know, what needs to be done right really.
0: And talking of your intuition, there's a moment in the book where someone says to you, you're, you're different. And you go, oh, am I? And they go, you know, you, you are different. Don't pretend you don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah. So, what yeah. what is that difference? What is it that you feel is, or was, or still is, different about you? Well, it partly comes from.
1: And I'm asking you to really
0: pick yourself up here. I realise it's an yeah. sort of well, odd well, question uh, to
1: ask someone, but I don't... don't necessarily have a problem with that. <laughs> um, it partly comes from background. I mean that I've got a particularly unique. Kind of background in many ways, obviously, parents in the Communist Party, but also a very Jewish, I think, household. And, um, uh, uh, but, um, yeah, part. it's just kind of wiring, I suppose, in a way. It's also, I don't know if I say it in the book, but somebody, I think somebody said to Linda, because I had, to, you know, I mean, I have like, after I left art school, I had years of these shit jobs, like just, Filing Clark, some of them, and I talk, you know, talk about like working on the Jubilee line and digging the Jubilee line, shit like that. And um, somebody said to Linda, and I don't, I don't even know if it was kind of, they, they'd worked with me in some office when I was just, you know, I mean, I must have been about 25 or something, I was doing the filing. And they said, Your husband is the strangest person because <laughs> he doesn't have a kind of office face and a uh, uh, like an office face he's the same person everybody else is a different person at work to what they are outside work and okay. your husband is exactly the same he doesn't make any allowances for being being at work and uh, and I think that that kind of gets to and it essence to my character that I, I I mean I was I didn't I didn't know that you should really partly but I just behaved I mean I was a terrible employee. I mean I was awful timekeeping and you know. Um yeah, I mean I wasn't suited to the world of work at all. As most comics are. But I mean, um yeah, I didn't I was always the same really. And I, I just uh I very odd. I was lucky to find Linda as well because Linda, I mean, I was much odder before Linda kinda of. Hold of it's so
0: sweet that you talk about her in the book and on stage she's been there the whole time and how amazing time. to yeah. have like um, uh, just to have someone who's kind of perpetually got Friend. your back throughout yeah. the whole of your career and travels with you when you talk yeah I mean, and she, just, I mean she does
1: we do notes afterwards you know as well yeah
0: I've rarely been as nervous before an interview as this one uh, because Alexi was so important to me as a young person. And, uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later on in the episode. But uh, I-, I just can't overstate the sort of... Like it was a proper meeting your heroes event. I hope I managed to wrangle this into a, a, an episode worth Alexei's uh, stature and uh, really invigorating intelligence uh, because I have to admit that your your porn reviewer was a bit starstruck. I hope that doesn't come across entirely. I probably shouldn't mention it now in case it doesn't come across. But I absolutely uh, loved meeting him and talking with Alexi. So there is more of this to come. Uh, remember at Comedians Comedians dot com slash insiders uh, you can join the insiders club and get access to all of the extra bits for all of the shows that have them including alexi talking about the current crop of arena comics and what happens to his uh, rage over over time whether there's any diminishing of that there's a lot more stuff there a good half an hour of stuff Um so join up at dot com slash insiders alexi is on tour now you can go to www.alexisale.me uh, that's me at the end uh, for details of his tour or search alexi Sale because let's face it even though i know how to spell it i type it wrong first time every time a-l-e-x-e-i-s-a-y-l-e and in this context, .me. So all your tickets there for Alexi's tour. It is fast approaching sold out, if it hasn't already. I think he's putting on extra dates, so get on that quick. Uh, if you want to be in with a chance to see him. I know we didn't talk about this in the episode, but I was looking at his blog recently, and uh, I know that Linda uh, is uh, very keen that they never tour again. So this may be your last chance. That's not any kind of an exclusive. That's just something that Alexi has said on his blog. So if you are a fan, really... Breaking neck trying to get there guys uh, I, I think you're really going to enjoy that show I just want to thank Ellen Frost and everyone else at the Bloomsbury Theatre and uh, Tom Wateracre who put me in touch with Ellen uh, uh, for giving me very kindly the rehearsal space in which to record with Alexi more in just a second uh, no let more now and then I've got a bit of announcement at the end for you plus uh, our regular feature of people who've had their lives changed by the podcast semi-regular occasional just about one or two off uh, that's all coming up after the conclusion of this conversation with alexi sale life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs
1: that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at uh1.com quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs
0: Coming back to this idea you mentioned before that there was a, a limit to what the man in the tight suit could say which is when you stopped doing stand-up mm-hmm. what sorts of things like is it the case that you then went away wrote loads of books did other things said the things you wanted to say and then could go back to stand-up or is it a case that you can say more now now that you are the older man no longer in the tight suit you've kind of got those gears to draw on
1: well yeah I mean it, it makes it I mean it it wasn't. It wasn't a process. It wasn't without pain, really. That you know. That I. I mean, I'd always had an ambiguous, slightly ambiguous relationship with him, anyway. Which is probably just all my, my fucking mind. But like, for instance, I would never meet. The public that I would always do a gig and then I would leave immediately. I never sold any merch or anything mm. because I felt that they couldn't meet. I mean, this is fucking love. Well, it's stupid. But, <laughs> you know, I felt they couldn't meet him. You know, and I also, I mean, I probably also there was that contradiction that people would expect me to be him. Really, you know, I'm a very yeah. different person to the guy in the suit. Sure, uh, but you know, there was an expectation that way, I, and I, 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 I always struggled really. With that with what that meant really, and I suppose that that i mean there's a lot of stuff I could have done there's also a, there's a strong there's a there's a you know that I, I i think of myself in a sense as being sort of intellectual you know and so and, and it's difficult for for him to to um to articulate that, really, and so, yeah, and I just kind of, I just got, I, I, the, the, I mean, I did I did the tour in 95, and it was, it was okay, you know, it was fine, and, and then I toured Australia in 96 and uh, yeah, I, I was singing songs I was, I was also had Bobby Chariot as well who um tremendously <laughs> I'd completely uh, forgotten yeah, yeah. about Bobby Chariot
0: as someone who has now done a decent bit of TV warm up yeah. Bobby Chariot is the patron saint yeah <laughs> I
1: mean he was I love Bobby and he would when did he come he would come we'd do like a, a slideshow thing that would break down and then Bobby would come on <laughs> and uh And then I had this, I would, I had like, I think I'd back in, I had these two dancing girls and I would sing and dance. It was like, but I was just, I was. sick. and also times have changed. I think, you know, I think that I, again, this is my, I think, you know, there is, there is an enormous, I mean, I love going to um, comedy clubs where all the young comedians have to pretend that they're thrilled that I'm there because I am such a now have this kind of iconic status yeah. I don't know if I had that in like 98 95 96 I think people were thinking who's this old you know <laughs> I mean you know that this you know we oh my right, granddad you've yeah, been yeah, comedy yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right. you know, this isn't you know, we're, 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 you know we want to do you know we want to do laddish stuff and yeah you know, all that, really. And we don't want to be yelled at about Marxism, you know. Gives a fuck, you know. You know, those hedonistic days of the sort So I felt like I was out of fashion as well, which I think yeah. it was, you know. Which is fine. Um, so I just felt I couldn't... I felt... It felt hollow to me what I was doing, really. And so I stopped. Uh, and then... You know, try you know, and then you have to kind of think. Well, what, what else am I going to do? You know, Um, and that 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 took a long. I mean, and then I, I mean, I was I, you know, becoming an author was really. I mean, I loved everything to do with publishing. I was, I was delirious about being an author and stuff. Uh, But because why? Well, I love because everybody's. Every, everybody that I mean, this was a kind of golden age of wasting money and publishing, so <laughs> but also it's like I mean, because you had like you're know, like in, in the music business, so I guess in comedy, you pay for you know, you pay for the limos, you pay for the posters, you pay for so when we, you know, when I was doing my first books with Hodgson Stout and Scepter. I would say, you know, am I paying for this? And they go, Dear boy, no. <laughs> no, you couldn't. We wouldn't dream that you would pay for these potent. Oh, we know this limo's. No, it's on the company, you know, it's my dear, the the idea, the very idea that you should. Yeah. You know, and you to get these lovely young people, like boys and girls, like in their early twenties, to kind of publishing prs you know just thought you were great all these pretenders <laughs> and they were like really educated and really young and kind yeah. of optimistic and they'd come round with you you know and you'd be up and down the country doing like traveling staying in malmaison and having like the two of you be like having you know the finest wines known to humanity <laughs> to do a reading to 40 kind of loonies in a Waterstones in Nottingham that you can't get wrong because it isn't a gig, like yeah, you exactly. Can't exactly yeah. <laughs> and you I just can't have infinite prestige. I am, well, also, I'm always going to be better than, yeah, than any you know, than AS By or you know, I mean, I'm going to do a better performance than you know, uh, nearly anybody really. So there was that as well. And everybody, oh, everybody just thinks you're great, and uh, so there's <laughs> just nothing to do with literature really, but. And it was also it was a way of a way of um, dealing with more complex ideas. I think in terms of the fiction that I wrote and stuff. You know, it was you know, the, 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 I, I felt that you know the, the, the comedy that I was doing had limited you know possibilities in terms of the intellectual ideas, and but particularly with a novel, you can do them. I mean, I remember. I mean. I was listening to a thing on the radio recently, a while ago, and Giles Fraser saying that. I don't know what it was about, but saying really that the novel is the epitome of the, the novel is the finest art form in a way, and it's also the way it's also the way that we, at its best, the way we explain. You, you know the world to ourselves You know, the, obviously the great classic novels I mean something like War and Peace or um, you know Pride and Prejudice something. you know they because you create this whole coherent world and then within these worlds ideas of morality are acted out you know uh, so you know that was to be engaged on that to be trying to um, to do that was a tremendous uh Thrill, really. And then they kind of stopped paying for <laughs> They stopped, you know, the, they stopped paying for you to go to Leeds. Was that the industry changing? The Cause industry there's no money in... Yeah, there was no in poverty, poverty, yeah, yeah. And then I kind of fell out of love with it. <laughs> was Coincidentally. It, was no, it was it seductive, the success? And the trapping of uh, success? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... And it was a, it, it was a wonderful contrast to the entertainment business because everybody is so... Lovely, I mean, and they are, they're all white, they're all college educated, they come from a very narrow range of beliefs, so there's that as well, (laughs) but for a while, you know, it was like a holiday, you know, it was like a holiday, uh, hiding from comedy, really, but it was a, it was a bit of a, I mean, in a sense, it was, I think, in a sense, I was, uh, I was denying my true nature, I think. Okay. Did it feel like you were sort of pulling a hustle? No, exactly. Not a hustle, but I, I, yeah, I was probably too happy. <laughs> you know, I'm never, I'm never happy with being happy, really. So I was probably enjoying it too much, really. Too, talk to talk to, to me about really, that, yeah. never happy about being. Happy. Well, no, just you know, you, you know, I suppose it's. <clears throat> um, I mean that's a, I mean, well, I, I just you know. I mean that. Nah, I mean it, you know it's it's always. I mean doing comedies always. You'd always you you particularly stand up. You'd always right on the edge of catastrophe there all the time and I even mean and so there's always that danger there. You know, it was with I think. Um, You know, the idea behind, like, cognitive behavioural therapy is that you should never be too comfortable, you know, because seeking comfort is... Because life isn't, really. And I sort of think, in a way I don't know. No, no, go on. But, me I'm, I'm interested in yeah, to you yeah, 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 yeah. And, and being an author, in some ways, was too comfortable, really. I also, I suppose I did think as well, I came to think that, you know, when they had... That it's a kind of joke, but when they had, you know, t- you know... Channel Four's top 100 comedians in the world, and when they first had the poem. I know it's rigged and all that, but nevertheless, I came 17th. Yeah. And I kind of thought, well, I'm never going to come, and don't deserve to come 17th in terms of top 100 authors, really, because I'm not. I am. I think I'm better than 17th. I think mean, I'm fucking a lot better than 17th, but, uh, you know... I was, you know, I, this is stand up. I mean, whatever kind of art sake it gives me, which is tremendous. You know, it's really, you know, I still find it tremendously difficult in so many ways. I'm fucking good at it. You know, there is something I'm really good, <laughs> I'm really, really good.
0: <laughs> there is something I, th- I would think with stand up, part of the seductive quality of stand up is that it allows you. To remain unhappy whilst being <laughs> successful, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, like, yeah. it's you—you you can't be a happy stand-up. What's the point of that? Yeah. It, it, it lets one kind of explore one's restlessness and ego, and I'm just—you fr- know—it's—it's it's an outlet that kind of—it's the gift that keeps on giving for someone yeah. who doesn't ever really want to be
1: happy. Yeah, and you have to go to Norwich <laughs> to do it, do it. Yeah, you know, to get on that—you to get in that car, get on that fucking train. I'll fucking go there. Yeah, you know. it's a nightmare. Uh, but yeah, it's you know, it's it's,
0: it's uh, hopefully creative discomfort. You know, creative
1: discomfort. Yeah, that's a nice.
0: That's a that's a teachable. That's a
1: masterclass. <laughs> you talk
0: about uh, in the book a bit about um, Linda needing to, or you needing Linda to reassure you that you'd been the best. After yeah. a variety of things, the young ones in, you know, whatever shows, you know, The Secret Policeman. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm always fascinated with that with comedians who we see absolutely boss the room, like just completely take charge, channel all of that authority, all of that power. In your case, that kind of attack and the, the kind of the chaos, the rhythm, all those things you do so brilliantly then coming off stage and going, was that all right? <laughs> and, and, and crucially, I think in your case, was that, was I the best? Yeah.
1: It, I mean, I think that, um, uh, the, the, I, I think one of the things that was good about when I came back in, whatever it was, 2011, 20, is that I'd lost some of that, really. That I didn't, I didn't care about being the best anymore, really. I, I... I I just, I was happy with being good. Because really. yeah. it, it seemed, it, I mean, there are so many comedians now that, you know, what be, I don't know what being the best actually means, really. So I've, I've, um, although I think it's kind of, I, I think, I mean, as like, I've, you know, the venues are getting, I think it's, start, it's starting to grow in me again. The kind of megalomania is starting to. But for certainly, when <laughs> I first came back, I was perfectly happy to just say, I'm just another comic and I'm doing, you know, I'm doing, I do what I do. Um, and what's, what's the effect on your creativity of
0: that kind of mindset? Because I, I feel like sometimes unhappy comedians who are desperate to be the best have a huge amount of drive. And I often wonder, is that worth, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like making all this great work and achieving huge success and fame and everything. Is that worth of being unhappy, like, would they rather have been happy?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the you know, that's the human condition, isn't it? Really? I mean, that's a question we all, the other side life and all that. But um, I think I, um, I mean, in terms of being a stand-up, I'm. I, I don't. I don't care about playing big rooms anymore. You know, I could, but if I wanted to, really, I think, like, I mean, this oh you it, like six hundred or something I could if I really really wanted to I could play you know the Apollos and the you know without too much too much you know too much effort too many appearances on loose women or <laughs> it's a Sunday brunch. um I uh, thought fuck I don't care about that. I mean I'm often happiest doing museum comedy, which you know, which is my which is where it's really the only place where I that the little underground yeah. like the corrugated tunnel is about a yeah. fifty seater. It's lovely. 70, yeah. Um and that's that's where I do my all my work in progress. i really am quite I I could quite easily, I think, um just stay there so I'm not I'm not having played I've never played arenas but the biggest places I've played was you know my pomp would have been like Liberal Empire something which is 3000 you know Palladium Um, I can't you know, so I'm not so that edge to be bigger and bigger is, is not you know, I'm not I don't care about that anymore really I mean the thing that has I mean surprised me I suppose I've been a Come out of the blue has been imaginary sandwich bar. really I mean that's uh, yeah, I mean I know the the, the the previous head of comedy at um, Radio 4 before Charlotte Williams I'll get over I didn't really get on with and she never she was always kind of like turning you know, people would pitch things with me and she'd always turn them down really um, and Shana you know, said as soon as she got the job that she wanted me to be on Radio 4. And so very quickly I did season one of Sandwich Bar. and I mean, I think I'm very lucky just... Gerard Nunnery is the producer and director, really, and he's a, he's a marvellous foil for me. And, you know, season one did really well, season two did really well, and then season three just went fucking nuts, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's the... Really massive, and it won like the other or yeah, one, the Awards and all that stuff. Um, and it's it's been um, and that's been uh, that's you know, that's uh, that's ultimately. I mean, I just find that I mean, it's very gratifying. But. Uh, imaginary sandwich bar,
0: like with your column Great Bus Journeys of the mm-hmm. World, they they share that quality of being like a daft idea that's an opportunity to hang. To, to, to a kind of collage, whatever you want. Yeah. So when you're writing Sandwich Bar, is there, because anything's possible, is that harder because anything's possible because there's no limitations on, on...
1: No, it's really, I mean, it's really, you know, I, I, I actually could never quite remember writing Sandwich Bar that I just sort of, it sort, sort of kind of appears almost really as if... Go on. I kind of sit in the, but well, I sit in, we've got like a conservatory on the back of our house now. I sit in there and then, can't kind of sandwich bar appears really. It's <laughs> like it's um I mean the the way that I I put that show together is I use I take I've, I take stuff from all over, I take fiction that I've written and readapt it, I take old columns I've written and re reformat them and stuff like that. And then I also use stand-up. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the show that you will you know that you saw on Friday night you will you know will eventually appear in you know, the next Series 4 of Summer's Bar um so it's a kind of mixture of uh but it's 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 absolute joy to write really I don't uh I mean or it has been at least I mean maybe now So uh, you know my but I mean, matching the success of the last series might be a bit more traumatic but um no, it's just the I. You know, it's it's only four really, but um, you know, the, the the format of it really. I mean, like when I mean when I did my last TV series, was my six TV series merry go round, and I, I, I really struggled to find stuff because I think again I'd reached the end of you know, absolutely. You know of of, of of that period of, my, and I had like five writers and stuff, and we really, you know, we struggled to find enough material to fill six and a half hours. But by myself, just solely me, I can easily fill for four, four and a half hours for something. Bro,
0: it's funny. The, the two things I think must be the hardest things to write are stand up, I know from experience, and novels. So having kind of done both of those, or yeah. having a good grounding in both of them, collaging from, you know, basically the opportunity to just look out of the window <laughs> and yeah. kind of go, right, let this come out. That seems really joyous. Yeah. In terms of assembling your stand-up show that you're touring at the moment, mm-hmm. obviously there are some bits there. There are kind of little anecdotal bits. And then there are some of the more kind of ferocious bits, which are more you get back into... Oh, and I wanted to ask you as well about your your particular... I don't even know what the term is. Is it s- scansion or attack or delivery or something? There's, there's a sentence I read in um, Thatcher uh, Stole My Trousers where you're describing Adelaide as being like as if uh, a hallucinatory version of... Stoke has been suddenly plonked in the middle of a botanical garden. <laughs> and I read that sentence and I just heard it in, in the guy in the suit's voice. Right, right. You know, as if, st- I mean, I, I, yeah. I can't do the meter without doing an accent. Right. Right. As if Stoke had just been plonked <laughs> in the botanical gardens. That, that kind of meter and that delivery, that kind of still sort of flashes out of you. It's like there's right. that, that gear that's still there. So when you build the show that you're on tour mm-hmm. with, you said it was built in, in kind of from literary festivals, but clearly bits of it are kind of still more kind
1: of savage. Well, then, yeah, that was the first. That was my first. I mean, I've essentially done, since 2011, 2012, I've essentially done three entire shows. Really. Okay. That, and and so the first one was? The, so the first one was... Soho Theatre, and then Edinburgh Festival in twenty thirteen. I saw the Soho one, yeah. Yeah, and then the second one was, I guess, Soho Edinburgh in twenty seventeen, and then this is kind of the third one. There are, there are. I mean, I, I'm not like Stuart where I throw everything out and start again. So there are bits, not much, but there's bits of material that were in the twenty thirteen show gaps, although they tend to mutate into. Yeah, you, know, you kind of take the bare bones and then rebuild it, really. So, yeah, you know, there, but there are lines that are the same. But as I said so, but I mean, so there. Uh, I've forgotten what. But then, so this is kind of the third, the third show that I've done. Really, I've forgotten what, what the question was.
0: Well, I suppose I'm just asking about, like, do you, do you ever find yourself with a blank page in front of you, going, right, I'm going to write a new bit, or is it all that it grows on? anecdotal stuff stuff you said I mean what what is your writer, when you write a stand up show
1: Right. what does it look like from scratch is it well the, I mean I think it, the way that uh, I keep a notebook obviously like 101 so although it, it doesn't have as much in it as it used to so when I was writing the way that I do it physically and I think I think it's important for me to not do it on a computer really because I think that it it just kind of there's something about. I mean, obviously writing novels on memoirs, yeah, it's fine on the computer. So I, I I have um I have like a Ryman's pad, A4 pad. This, again, this is fetishes, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> two, it's it's, mar, it's margin it folds from the top, yeah, and it's got you know two holes you know at the side. Okay, yeah, and I always use the same pad, and then I. Um, write out not a script but headline the, the show gradually put write out this, the show uh, from ideas or scripts and stuff so it'll be in Byron it has to be in Black Byron and now that'll be about two pages long and then I'll do that to Linda in the conservatory I call it open. Potentially call it the studio, um, and the cat. will if the cat comes as well, so I'll <laughs> then perform it to Linda. I'll say, just tell me about that. The performance, how performed is it? It's not super. Just, perform, just kind of I mean, it's, it's kind chatting of through. yeah, chatted through. my okay. or I think. I will then, so I will then do that, and then from that, I will then boil it down to t- ten headlines that I write on a card. So it will say like. You know like that show you saw last night. Like, it was so like Hirohito because you know, Beaten. you know, betting, the, th- the themes. You know, health, which is a you know, this is a ten minute, ten minute bit about you know. But that I just have that word health, and okay. that's the kind of the running order. That's how I do it, really. I think it's very important to physically, and then I actually do that with marker pens on kind of big sheets of card. I think it's really important, it feels really important to have that physical interaction with pen and paper. Yeah, right. Really. Uh, to put it together. And that's So that's physically how I do it, really. Um, and then, yeah, go through, go through it with Linda and rehearse. I mean, for the, early, the first show, like 2013 and 2017, we, we rehearsed a lot more. I mean, now I've got it down, so I don't really... I don't do it much to Linda, really, because I know what's going to work and what doesn't, so I just... I put it together and then I go to the museum comedy. I book like a week or something there, and uh, you know, work, run it, run it. Do you
0: ever work with a director or like an well,
1: outside eye? Well, I think it's the,
0: just the, yes, Lin. Yes, no, the no, director. No, no. Just a couple of of questions <laughs> sure. to wrap up. Um, uh, is there anyone current? This is Stuart Robin says. Is there anyone current that he really admires? What Stuart?
1: Comics? I mean, he's not that. No, like current, no, current, current. current like, like I mean, you mentioned Fern Brady. That yeah, no, I think she's, um, she's got, um, she could be, she's still got a ways to go, but I mean, she's got an amazing backstory. and yeah. uh, um, Kai Samurai, I think, is I like her a lot. Yeah, OK. I'm not saying... Uh, again, he's got a really interesting backstory that he was. You know? OK. I mean, you are getting those people now. I've got that, like Finn and like, you know I mean? He's homeless and stuff. Got these really had these really interesting lives. Yeah. If they can do good stuff about it then Um, you know. Uh who else? I quite like these seems to what's he called? George Washington or something? Oh, um Chris Washington. Chris Washington, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean I don't know where he's kinda of, I mean I quite like when I saw him so... Uh I, I mean, I'm, now, I'm starting to get to know a lot of younger comics now. Young, I mean, they're not that young. Know, people like Phil Ellis and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a great off-stage, amazing raconteur. I think. Phil. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Incredible.
0: He's he is watching him compare somewhere like the Frog and Bucket in Manchester, right. which I find. Rowdy, yeah, and watching him compare it by being silly, and right. mar- And kind of take control with silliness and yeah. and, and his frankly ludicrous
1: body. to you but yeah. like making the most use of it? It's, I mean, it's really amazing. Yeah, someone. You know. Yeah, I mean, so I don't. I mean, I love going. I mean, I don't. Deliver, I mean, I got me and Jay, my producer. We go and see something at the Samo once every couple of months or something. Mm. So I'm I'm just guided by him really. But so um yeah, there's yeah, you know, there's a lot of people with um seems like there's a lot of people with a lot of uh, and also it's a bit nepotistic, but I like Peter Richardson's son, Red is Yeah, he's I think, great. I think he's great really, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I mean again he's not he's not the he's not the Finished article, yeah, but... You were talking on stage about sons of alternative... Children of yeah. alternative comics, and I started, I was sat in the audience making a list of all the ones I could think of. It's millions, but Red is yes. yes, one of the better ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I like Red. He's, he's a nice, you know... I'm fond of him, really. I've known him since he was born, and yeah. I mean, it's also true. Alfie, um, Alfie Brown. yeah
0: listen to a question from uh, Bennett Thorpe he says I mean it's not a question but 25 years ago he was on TV simultaneously in a Lexi sales stuff the James Bond he did and an advert on the other channel three (laughs) channels at once and there was only four channels he was
1: basically for 30 seconds as famous as the Queen yeah it wasn't um it, was, it wasn't it wasn't James Bond was Bond, it was Indiana Jones. In India, yeah of it was, course it was yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, I, I, I never appeared in an advert it was a voiceover yeah right okay apart from that yes yeah <laughs> clock in that moment yeah, yeah yeah well you know it's amazing I mean it's funny it feels like, I mean I, I often think about all that really it was a uh, I didn't really stop and think I mean it was yeah there was a while there when you know yeah we, we were massive you know me and and you know the people I knew, we were huge, and uh, I think we were lucky in a way that you know it, it sort of didn't. Yeah, you got you know you get a table at the Ivy or something, but it didn't. You get fight, but it wasn't. You know, it, it didn't drive like, any of you mad. Didn't drive any... No, no, not that. Didn't drive any of us mad. <laughs> that particular thing did not drive us mad, though. No.
0: Uh, John By says how is Alexei enjoying slash dealing with the transition from counterculture to national treasure
1: quite well yeah I don't mind yeah I mean it is you know you gotta um, as long as it doesn't it doesn't affect what I do really so I kind of like I mean I do I love all that like I say I love all that Young comics feeling they have to pretend to revere me. I think that that's. Oh,
0: but they obviously they a lot of young totally comics do. Revere yeah,
1: me. some of them, yeah, most of them do. But there's supposed be the odd one that's going. It was this. Cunt thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. Uh, no, yeah, no. I love all that. I, I don't have a problem with it. I think I've earned it. You know, and it's not like, it's not like I, you know, and I, I, you know, it's not like I dilute. You know, it's not like I'm doing the fucking. Royal Variety performance or anything you know it's yeah it's fine. I don't (laughs) mind you just
0: reminded me of that description in the book of the the original comedy store kind of scene being people who would love to people who would be so except people who dream about Pauline's line yeah yeah. Pauline's line yeah yeah yeah, she said
1: for the people who dream about refusing to go on the Royal (laughs) Variety yeah yeah brilliant fucking line yeah yeah
0: Uh, Chris Terry says my wife met him years ago as she remembers, she knocked on his door as a brownie selling a charity thing. He told her to fuck off and shut the door. Uh, and then he opened it again and said it was a joke.
1: I don't I mean,
0: Does that feel like the sort of thing you did, done? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, um,
1: I try and be, I mean, I, I try and be um, polite to people, you know. I think it's important uh, to be mannerly. So, I can't say I would have been uh, nasty to a girl, guys, it's a bit Hitler youthy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I thought she was.
0: Anyway. Last question, then. I forget which list of this was from. Did you get any grief from Disney for singing the Mickey Mouse theme tune, tune in the credits of stuff? Because whenever I think your name, I think A-L-E-X-E-I.
1: <laughs> I think that um, I used to do a routine about this. Now I think. They must have cleared it with, you know, legally. But they did, when we did... And again, in my first show, I did a bit about it. When we did Snow White and the Seven Samurai in Series 1 of stuff, um, Disney issued a (laughs) writ. And me and David Nandrew and Marcus Mortimer, the producer, went to see the BBC barrister. And she said, fuck Disney, we're the BBC. She's which I just thought it was the most... I can't imagine the BBC doing that, having the confidence to do that. Now, I just thought, fuck, ah, yeah, we're the BBC. You know, we're the fucking BBC. We don't, you know... Sadly, a much diminished organisation since then kind of lost its nerve, but... I think that fucked Disney, we're the BBC. So, and they just backed down, you know.
0: Very finally, then... Did you become the great artist that you always set out to be?
1: No, 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 no I can't. I mean, I, I can't. Uh, there's nothing like art school for putting you off art, really. So uh, I never, uh, and I wasn't good enough. Again, I found, you know, the best thing that I can do is be a stand-up, you know. I'm, you know, I'm really, really good stand-up. And that's like, you know, why would you want to be anything else, really?
0: so that was alexi sale thank you so much to alexi for coming on the show thanks to his pr people for helping me sort that out thanks to ellen frost and everyone at the bloomsbury theater who gave us the recording space Uh, and do rush and see Alexi Sale on tour now. www.alexisayle.me. So alexisale.me for all of his tour tickets. He is coming to the Bloomsbury Theatre. I suspect it's sold out, but if you're quick, you might get something there. So this is a little thing from Simon, who is a listener to the show. Early this month he says you asked for anyone who'd achieved something thanks to Comcompod. This is my little story. Simon says, in September of last year, I was decorating my conservatory while listening to you interview Ellie Taylor. I'd seen Ellie earlier in 2019, having been a fan for a long time, and she didn't let us down with a brilliant gig. When you were interviewing her, it helped me see that how she came up with it helped me see that how she came up with material. That's seen five minutes, read it the first time. And I thought, I've been thinking about doing a stand-up course for ages. Ellie has showed us her insecurities and is brilliant. So get on and book it. He goes on, I asked on the Facebook group, that's the ComCom Facebook group, one of the nicest places on the internet, for a course in Birmingham, and many people recommended James Cook's course. Well, as of 9pm last night, I've performed five minutes of my own original material and got laughs. I even had the terror of someone in the front row getting a phone call, which I managed to deal with and get a laugh. I'm planning on keeping this going, he says, not with the intention of making a career out of it, because I really enjoyed the process of writing, collaborating with other comics, and performing it and getting plenty of laughs. Even if I don't do anything else, I feel like I've gotten a glimpse into how hard you have to work to mine the funny, giving me even more respect for all comedians. Comcom Pod is literally integral to this whole story, so thank you. Well, thank you, Simon, and a pat on the back there for James Cook, who is an excellent comic friend of mine and terrifyingly well-researched board game enthusiast. Uh, so great. I mean, look, that's a recommendation for James's course. Uh, that's also a recommendation for believing in yourself. And I do. I'm a particular fan of how Simon said. I'm going to keep going not to make a career out of it, but just because I enjoyed all the elements. Well, that's what it's all about. So thanks to Simon for getting in touch. I will post-amble at you in just a second. Thank you to Alexi. Thanks to uh, uh, Tom Wateracre, to Ellen Frost. Uh, Music was by Rob Smout, and podcast consultant was Peter Dobbing. The logs were done by Jake Crossland and uh, your editor and producer, as ever was the uh, very capable Nathan Wood. That's all of that. However, here's a tiny announcement. This is a soft launch. I believe you can now buy tickets for my Edinburgh Fringe show. It's got a title. It's called The Void. I've said that out loud now. I've committed to it. The poster is literally the best poster I've ever had. The image for the poster, I am so, so excited about it. My dear friend and brilliant professional photographer, Andre Pattenden, uh, made this incredible image happen. And everyone I show it to physically takes a step back and says wow out loud i can't wait to show you that it's under wraps for now but the show is called the void and you can buy tickets for it at and this is one of those moments when i should have found out where you can buy tickets for it um i'm gonna guess monkey barrel Stuart. there we go let's keep this live uh live moment of uh trying to find out uh how to what is that is that it is that it there? This is me demonstrating how to find it. I've typed in monkey barrel Stuart Goldsmith 2020 to see what would happen. And we've landed on event.bookitb with two E's.com slash 26738 slash Stuart hyphen Goldsmith hyphen fringe hyphen um, 2020. The tickets are available there, my friends. And, uh, I will probably condense that into some sort of bit.ly link and whack it in the bio at com.com com or indeed at Stu Goldsmith on all various forms of social media. So that wasn't, I mean, I said it was a soft launch and it was pretty incredibly soft. The point is you can get tickets. They cost some money. Um, how much do they cost? I'll click on one. They cost, ooh, £6 plus 69p in fees. Cheeky. Uh, it's on at Monkey Barrel 1 at 10 past 3 Every day throughout the fringe, I say every day from Tuesday the sixth. If yellow means that there's a show, then Thursday the sixth. Christ, this is awful. Um, until Sunday the thirtieth. Uh, there's uh, and I'm not. It's not on Thursday the twentieth. Do you know what this means, guys? It's going to be spreadsheet day pretty soon. If everyone, oh, not soon. What is it? It's only just March, isn't it? Let's give it a month or two, but start assembling your spreadsheets. But don't fill them in in ink because we're going to do something in the ConCon Con Facebook group and we're going to share our spreadsheets. And it's just the most efficient way to build your brilliant, wonderful and surprising Edinburgh Fringe timetable. So there we go. As soft launches go, I mean, that was, uh, it had sort of evaporated by the time it came out. The point being, tickets are on sale. You'll have to Google them to find them. There's no immediately zappy link, but I'll make one. And there we go. The show's called The Void. I'm working with a very excellent director and uh, I will tell you more about that and they uh, in due course and um, that's all of that. I would love to do you a postamble here's a here's a micro postamble right I'm in Cape Town. I'm in a festival. I recorded an incredible uh, episode yesterday with Desiree Birch. She talks so fast, we've got four hours of content in a two-hour episode, so it might even be a two-parter. It's incredible, and she's wonderful. I'm here with some brilliant uh, South African comics. Um C. Chimura uh, was on the opening gala. He was great. Prince was fantastic. Uh, I'm struggling now to remember the names. Uh, Mo Jack and Mo compared brilliantly well. Um, and uh, there was a guy called Bongani, whose surname I don't remember, which is very rude of me, but he's one of those guys who's swaggering around backstage like he was a killer and then turned out to be a killer. So well done, Bongani. Um, We're also working with Alonzo Bodden, who I'm hoping to record with soon, a fabulous American comic, Uh, and there's just such a lovely group of people here. I'm hosting a show in a 1400 Caesar venue uh, every night, and I get to come up through a hatch in the floor at the beginning of the show. Oh, God, that is an absolute... I mean, it was only last week I was in Cambridge and uh, balancing up on the sort of gritty thing. Have I even done a sort of post-tour postamble? I don't think I have. It was so great. Cambridge was a fabulous way to finish it off. And um, it, it, it's so lovely. And I'm already on to the next thing. It just kind of, it, like it goes on forever, the tour. And then before you know it, it's suddenly over and you're on to the next thing, the void. So, uh uh, the end of tour in Cambridge had a good chunk of stuff that will become the void in the second half of it. It was great fun to watch. And thank you, everyone, that got in touch with me for your feedback on that, which I requested. Um, my point is, I'm having a wonderful time here. It's such a brilliant lineup: Sindhu V, Fern Brady, Laura Davis, Deliso Chaponda, all of this parish. Uh, Nick Rabinovitz, a brilliant uh, uh, local South African act. And uh, also, who, I feel like there's a guy. Go- oh, Phil Nickel. My God, absolutely. There we go. Uh, Phil Nickel and me. That's one show. And then there's the danger zone with uh, terrifying, dangerous acts such as Spencer Jones. <laughs> and also Finn Taylor, Jeff Innocent. Who else is on it? Desiree. Come on, remember everyone. Robbie Collin. I'm going to go and see it tonight. I can't wait. Everyone's been telling me how good Robbie Collin is. He's another South African act. Um, and... I think that's everyone, but I can't possibly, fuck God, this has gone on, this has just become a, ra- a ramble because I'm so desperately afraid of missing someone off accidentally. I feel like that can't be everyone. Jeff, Spencer, Alonzo's hosting, Finn, uh, Robbie. Have I said everyone? God, this is the single thing I find most distressing, most stressful about podcasting is the, like, what I'm going to do, is you're going to end up with me... Like, Nathan's going to have to work through the night to chop in a last-minute remembered edit where I go, oh, obviously, my best friend, mentor and guy who saved my life is the other act on the bill. But um, at the moment... Anyone's name escapes me. Right, the point is, great shows here, fantastic people. I'm going on a very friendly safari. Uh, I was saying that always makes me think of guns. There's no guns involved. And uh, we're being very well looked after, so thank you to Sam and Jade and Anna and Annika and Dan and all of those people... Um, I'm having a wonderful time. I'm going to get back to having a wonderful time. I'm going to go and drink some coffee. I've been up since five for this TV press call thing this morning and I'm slightly losing my mind. But um, also, big shout out to my wife who is doing double parenting at the moment while I gad about and I love you very much and I hope that, (laughs) A, I hope you're bothering to listen to this and B, if you are, I hope you know how grateful I am that you are doing the real work while I'm fannying around looking at a monkey. All right. Love you. Love the rest of you. Bye for now. But less. I love the rest of you less, like considerably. Like, I love you, but let's say the other way around. I love my wife more.